Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Good morning, Orlando. How are we? Good. I'm excited to be here. We love Orlando. Um, many people at the first service asked us if we drove in this morning. We did not. We came in on Friday to hang out and do some fun stuff. We have two types of travel in our house. We have trips and vacations. If the kids come, it's a trip. <laughs> this was a vacation. Amen. And so, hey, super glad to be here. If you got your Bibles, I hope you do. We're going to be in Psalm 23, a very familiar passage. I Thank Pastor David for all the kind words, but I just need you to know that I'm just a nobody willing to tell anybody about the somebody that wants to save everybody. Amen? Uh, You can probably tell from my accent, I didn't grow up around here. I grew up in a little town called Dillon, South Carolina. It's just sort of a redneck town. It's the land of wide tire Camaros and uh, double wide trailers and, you know, and Def Leppard, that kind of stuff. And so, uh, yeah, praise God for that. So, Grew up in this little town. My daddy said the best thing ever come out of Dillon, South Carolina is I-95, and that is a fact. <laughs> so I'm glad to be from there. <clears throat> I didn't grow up in church, though. We didn't go to church that much because uh, we hunted and fished all the time. And though my grandma said that fish don't bite on Sunday, she was not telling the truth. But we, we were out in the woods most of the time. And then I found myself at this little camp, this little Southern Baptist church camp. And um, that's where I met Jesus. I mean, if you would have asked me, I said I believed in God like every good Southerner believes in the SEC football and NASCAR and the Lord. Um, and this was, a, this, was, this was kind of camp to put the fun in fundamentalism, if you know what I mean. It was one of those kind of camps. And on the last night of camp, they, my counselors dressed up with like togas and stuff and reenacted the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And somehow when they did that and I saw this representation of Jesus dying on the cross, somehow I knew and believed that it counted for me. My football coach is the guy that was running the camp and uh, he stood up and he said, for God so loved you that he has sent his only begotten son for you. And if you would believe in him, that you would be saved. And I knew he was talking to me. And so on about the 19th verse of just as I am, I finally stood up. And walked on down and told coach I wanted to be a Christian and asked Jesus into my heart. Maybe not the language I would use today, but I did. And he came in. And then a few years later, I found myself back at that camp on staff, like cutting grass and stuff like that. And then one day, um, one night during a service, while the musician was up there singing, and this was not worship like we just experienced worship, okay? We didn't have screens and instruments. We had a guitar and an overhead projector, if you know what I'm saying. And we were singing the song, I am a C. Anybody remember that one? I am a C, I'm a C-H, I'm a C-H-R-S-T-I-N. Now I told you I'm from Dillon, so I was in the 10th grade before I realized we were spelling I'm a Christian. (laughs) I thought we were speaking in tongues and we were gonna get in trouble with the deacons, but anyway. (laughs) Coach Lee comes up to me and he says, boy, when we're done with the singing, you gonna preach. I was like, excuse me, like in two minutes? Are you serious? I said, coach, I'm not very comfortable speaking in front of people. And he said, boy, did you say comfortable? Boy, do you think Paul and Silas were comfortable in prison? Boy, do you think Daniel was comfortable in the lion's den? Boy, do you think Jesus Christ was comfortable on the cross? Uh, no, sir. I said, well, what do I talk about? He said, boy, that's easy. You talk about Jesus, you talk about 30 minutes. So that's what I've been doing pretty much ever since that moment. (laughs) 
So I came off of that little platform, a couple kids met Jesus that night, and Coach Lee put his finger in my chest, and he said, look here, boy, when you teach the Bible, I see two things happen. I see you come alive, and I see them come alive. And I assured him I would never, ever, ever work at church, right? Well, sure enough, I went home, became a youth pastor. I did that for about 15 years. We started a service at the church I was attending called Beach Church in Jacksonville, Florida. And after about six months, the church, the, the service that I started, we started at 1122. That's why our church is called the Church of 1122. That's just what time the service started. And I figured people would know when to show up. We just invited them to 1122. Well, after about six months, it outgrew the whole church. And so my pastor, Pastor Jerry Sweat, best Christian I've ever met in my life, he comes to me and said, I think that, that you should plant a church. I didn't even know what church planning was. So I Googled church planning, and sure enough, there was a conference held at First Baptist Orlando. And so me and a bunch of my crew got into some vans and drove down here to your church. And you were so gracious and you were so kingdom-minded to allow the exponential conference to happen right here. And on the last day of the conference, my dear friend now, a guy named Matt Chandler, he was standing right here and he was preaching. And this is before y'all had done a renovation, but I was somewhere standing between section 11 and section 12, which is awesome because in my church, we just have section one. <laughs> but I was over there and I am telling you, I heard the clear call of God in my life, as clear as when he called me into ministry, as clear as when he called me unto salvation. And standing in this place, right back there, I felt like God was telling me it was time to plant a church. And so I walked down your aisle and I stood about right here and Pastor Matt Chandler put his hands on me and prayed over me and commissioned me to go plant a church. And I, we went home to Jacksonville and in 2012, we planted the church of 1122. And God has been doing exceedingly more than any of us ever hoped or imagined. And you play a big part in that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so we put our... Uh, we renovated an old Walmart. There was an old dilapidated Walmart. It had been empty for about six years and uh, looked like the Terminator 2 movie. It was terrible. But we raised a little bit of money and we renovated that thing. I called my daddy and said, Daddy, we're going to put the church in a Walmart. And he said, Son, I always thought you'd work at Walmart. And so uh, <laughs> I offered him a job as a greeter and we've been rocking and rolling ever since. So thank you so much for having us here. The 23rd Psalm is where we're going to be. Very, very famous words here, very famous psalm. Even if you're brand new to Bible study, you've heard this one before, if you've been to a funeral. It's written by King David, and he starts out this way, the Lord is my shepherd. And you need to know this, in the Bible, in the, in the English translations of the Bible, where it capitalizes L-O-R-D, it's, re it's referencing God's covenant name that God gives to Moses back in Exodus chapter 3. When God tells Moses, you're going to go to the Pharaoh and you're going to say, let my people go. And Moses says, who shall I say sent me? And God gives him his covenant name, Yahweh. It's supposed to sound like breathing, by the way. Yahweh, breathe in, breathe out. That God is as close as our very next breath. And this was the God who was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The God who's going to squish Pharaoh. The God that's going to squish all the little G gods in Egypt by sending 10 plagues. The God that's going to split the Red Sea to have his people walk through and then crush the Egyptian army. This God that is almighty, this God that is all powerful. That Lord, David says, is my shepherd. I mean, what humility God must have as the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he would be willing to be your shepherd. Let me ask you this, is he your shepherd? Because he will be if you just ask him. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. 
You see, Americans, we don't know a lot about shepherds. We know a lot about cowboys, but not shepherds. Did you know in the New Testament that the word for shepherd and pastor is the same thing? Did you know in John chapter 10, Jesus says that he is the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep? And we are supposed to be like shepherds. We are supposed to be like Jesus. And if you're a Jesus follower, every single one of us have an opportunity to be a shepherd in some area of our life. If you're a parent, if you're a boss, if you're a teacher, if you're a coach, you have an opportunity to be a good shepherd. And yet there's too many cowboys these days, not enough shepherds. Now, I'm not saying anything disparaging against cowboys. Cowboys are awesome. Cowboys are cool. I know nobody here watches Yellowstone because you love the Lord, but let me be honest, that's the coolest show on TV, is it not? Is Rip not the coolest cowboy you've ever seen in your life? When he says, you want to fight, fight me, I wish that was in the Proverbs. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> and so as cool as cowboys are, cowboys are great. It's just not what we have been called to be. And there's a difference. You know what cowboys do? Cowboys count head of cattle. Shepherds love the sheep. That's different. See, I get invited to preach uh, pastor's conferences all the time because our church got big real fast. You know what the number one question I get asked? So how many are you running? Nobody ever asked me, what's the condition of the flock? See the difference? That a cowboy fattens the cattle so that they get paid more at slaughter. That the shepherd feeds the sheep. That a cowboy gets in the back and pushes cattle where they don't want to go. A shepherd leads and says, follow me. This might be the scariest one and the biggest one. Cowboys love being cowboys. Shepherds love the sheep. I mean, do you realize that you can go to a store right here in Orlando and you can get all the cowboy gear you want? I mean, I wear cowboy clothes all the time. I got cowboy boots, cowboy jeans, belt buckle, cowboy shirt, cowboy hat. You know what? I don't know a cow. No, <laughs> not a cow. I've never seen a shepherd store. You ever seen a shepherd store? You ever walk in and be like, hey, can I get like a Jedi robe, a crook, and some goofy sandals? Nah, man, nobody wants to look like a shepherd. In fact, there are cowboy games where cowboys compete against other cowboys to see who the best cowboy is. There are no such things as shepherd games. It can be kind of scary. There's some people that love being in ministry more than the people that they minister to. Forced Orlando, you should thank God that God has given you the kind of shepherd he has in your pastor, Pastor David Youth. Okay? <clears throat> and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. This means he knows me, he feeds me, he leads me, he loves me, and I shall not want. In other, in other words, everything that I need, I find in him, and there is nothing that I need that can be found apart from him. The shiny things of this world will never fully and finally satisfy. Only he will. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. Now, this next part, so far so good. Some of you aren't going to like this especially the younger you are, okay? So if you're like a Gen Z millennial, just take a deep breath, okay? It's a safe space. He makes me lie down. And if you go, whoa, 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 nobody makes me do anything. No, 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 this shepherd makes you do all kinds of things. And if, and if you haven't been made to do some things, then the reality is you're your own shepherd. You see, he makes me lie down in green pastures, this is a really big deal. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. There's this really good book by a guy named Philip Keller and it's called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. He's a shepherd. And first and foremost, here's what you need to know. When the Bible calls you and me sheep, not a compliment. Not at all. Now we think it's a compliment because we've been to enough like Bible bookstores. 
And we've seen pictures of sheep sitting on the lap of like Swedish Jesus. You know that Jesus? He's got like blonde hair, no split ends, bathrobe, Miss America sash, British accent. Hello, petting a big fluffy white sheep. And we're like, oh, that's like me and my Lord. No, 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 it's not at all. Have you ever seen a sheep like in real life? Have you ever seen one? Have you been around one? Dude, they're nasty and they stink and they're dirty and they're dumb. And the Lord goes, that reminds me of some people I know. <laughs> Do you know why he's got to lead them beside green pastures? Because sheep cannot distinguish between foods that will nurse their body and foods that will kill them. Can you believe there's an animal on the planet that will ingest things into their body that will kill them? It's unbelievable, is it not? Did you know that the sheep, the reason they have to be led beside still waters is because they'll get enamored with rushing water, white water. They'll stick their head in it. Their wool will get saturated and it will drag them in and they will drown. Can you believe that there's an animal on the planet that will take a good gift from God like water and overindulge in it until it kills them? And if you think I'm still talking about sheep, it's because you're dumb. That's why. <laughs> He's a good shepherd. He makes us lie down. In green pastures, he leads us beside still waters. He restores my soul. Some of us need some soul restoration. And there ain't a vacation you can go to that can restore your soul. There's not a set of circumstances that can restore your soul. There's not, a, uh, there's not enough money on the planet to restore your soul. There's not a pill that can be prescribed to you that can restore your soul. Only the good shepherd can do that deep soul work that we need. And he leads me in paths of righteousness. Do you know why we need the good shepherd to lead us in paths of righteousness? Because like the hymn writer says, I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Anybody with me on that? Anybody prone to wonder? Anybody? I know this is church, no place for honesty, but anybody willing to be honest? Yeah, me too, man. I've never met the person. I've been in ministry for 30 years. I've never met the person that wakes up one day and be like, today's the day. I'm ruining it all. No, 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 man. We're just prone to wander away from the good shepherd and we need the kind of shepherd that does not mind taking his shepherd crook and putting it around our neck, allowing us to experience some discomfort to get us back on paths of righteousness. We're not even talking about right and wrong and good and bad. In John chapter 10, Jesus says he's the good shepherd and the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But he has come that we may have life and have it abundantly, which means when we follow in the direction of the good shepherd, it always leads to life. And when we go our own way, though it may feel like fun and freedom for a season, it always only leads to death. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Now, at this point, I think this is one of the reasons this psalm is so important and so popular because we love this thing so far. We're like, yeah, he's a good shepherd, but let's be honest, he's into me. I mean, look at all that he does for me. He's leading me in paths of righteousness. He's let, let me lie down in the green pastures. He's restoring my soul. And he does love you, but just buckle up for this one. But it ain't about you. Now, I know for some of you that might rub up against your your, your emotions a little bit because you have a kindergarten teacher and she told you that you were a precious little snowflake and puppy's breath and Skittle. All right, well, listen here, Skittle. She was lying to you. Yeah, you and me and every other human being by birth, by nature and nurture, we are wretched, crooked and depraved sinners. We're not mistakers that need a life coach and need to try harder. We are sinners in need of a savior. And the reason that the good shepherd is doing this is because he's good. 
He is doing this for his namesake. Now, don't get me wrong. God is for you. It's just not all about you. Anybody that dies for you is for you. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us, but he saves us unto himself for his namesake. He keeps going. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which if you read this and you've never seen it before, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are we going to the valley of the shadow of death? I would think if you're the good shepherd and you love me and you lead me beside still waters and green pastures and restoring my soul, I would think the next line would be, so if you just listen to the shepherd, man, it's cotton candy and Cadillacs from here on out. Here's what the problem is. The problem is life. David knows a little bit about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And he says, but even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because there's not evil to be feared? Oh, there's some stuff. Ain't no doubt right now in this service, there's some people walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And I know, I know, you're trying to, like, like you walked in and the usher was like, how you doing? You're like, I'm just blessed and highly favored. But like, really? Because your Instagram looks like your whole life's burning down. You want to talk about it? I mean, maybe it's a relationship thing. Maybe it's a finance thing. Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe it's a kid thing. Ain't no pain like kid pain, Amen. And yet we serve the kind of God that says, and even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why, God? For you are with me. Notice, by the way, in the Psalm, he has started talking to God and not about God. At one point, he was like, the Lord is my shepherd. Now he's talking directly to him. I will fear no evil because you are with me. Yeah, we don't serve the kind of God that waits on the other side of the valley of the shadow of death and goes, come on, come on. If you could just make it through and the circumstances change, then it will be okay. But he walks with us through whatever the thing is that we're going through. Therefore, we fear no evil, not because of our circumstances. Because oftentimes we can say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. And you promised to be with me in it and through it. Listen, if you've got doubts, if you've got un unanswered questions, if you look at God and be like, God, what are you doing here? I don't understand why you would allow this in my life. I've got really good news for you. You could make a great disciple. The reason I say this, have you read the gospels? The, the disciples, the original disciples understood virtually nothing that Jesus talked about. They were confused about everything. They were confused about the resurrection. It's the whole point of the whole thing. And they still are surprised on Easter Sunday, okay? So if you're a little slow on the uptake on the whole Bible study thing, you could change the world. The opposite of faith is not doubts. If you have doubts, let me encourage you with this. Pick up your doubts, pick up your unanswered questions, pick up the God, why would you do this? And just continuously follow after Jesus by faith. You do that long enough, one day all of your doubts go away. Not like next Tuesday, but when we get to heaven, our faith becomes sight. Nobody's gonna walk up to you in heaven and be like, do you believe in Jesus? Be like, well, you can just ask him. There he is, he's right there on the throne, okay? <laughs> the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. Because what fear is, fear is taking the little bit of faith you have and putting it in your circumstances. Faith is taking your trust and putting it in the cosmic king over your circumstances. You see, faith always produces action and fear paralyzes. This is why Paul tells Timothy, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You see, fear is not a feeling. Fear is a spirit that does not come from God. And perfect love drives out 
fear. And even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In verse five, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. To which I wanna be like, Lord, why don't you just prepare to take out my enemies? It's not what he promises. What he's saying is even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death and being surrounded by enemies, that there is peace found, not in circumstances, but peace is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, you could have what Paul calls a peace that transcends all understanding. Why? Because Christ is guarding your heart and your mind. That's why. You ever notice you don't have to make an appointment with somebody you're sitting at the table with? And God prepares a table before our enemies. Our problem is, is oftentimes we pull back a couple of seats and invite the enemy to come sit at the table. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Load up your table with people that point you to the Prince of Peace. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. When the Bible talks about oil in the Old Testament, it's a representation, a foreshadowing of the Spirit of God that would come. And God does not just give him enough to get his cup full, but it's fuller than full. It overflows. The way that John will say this in 1 John is, oh, what manner of love the Father has lavished upon us that we would be called children of God. That's, that's how God loves you, with a lavish love. You know what lavish means? More than enough. Like God does not give you enough grace to just barely get you into heaven, but he pours his grace on you. And then God does not have an off switch with love because God is love. And so he lavishes and lavishes and lavishes so that the love of God fills your cup up and then gets to spill out and splatter on everyone around us so that we can love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. This is the kind of lavish love Christ has demonstrated for you and me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup, overflows. And here's how he closes. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. What is he talking about here? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is David. This is David's way of saying, and I'm going to heaven. You can't dwell in the temple forever. There's not even a temple to dwell in these days. And he is saying, surely goodness and mercy will stalk me, will hunt me, will follow me. This isn't two little kids in Halloween costumes. This is the person and work of Jesus Christ. That God's attitude towards you through his son, Jesus Christ, is perfect goodness and perfect mercy. I mean, we sang a song that said, all my life you have been faithful. Don't you love it? I love that song so much. It sounds like George Strait wrote it to me. You know him, the king of country? All my life you have been faithful. That's how we ought to sing it. But then he says, and all my life you have been so, so good. I'm not saying all my circumstances have been so, so good, but you all my life have been so, so good. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This is gonna be personified in the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, if you're a Jesus follower, man, way to go, way to go. That's cool that you would surrender your life to him and follow him. Praise God for that. Did you realize that he has been following after you all the days of your life? If you have not yet trusted Jesus, 
for your salvation. And you walked in this place, did you realize that he followed you into this very moment right now? Surely goodness and mercy follow you all the days of our lives. Which, by the way, do you know what this means? Since this is the house of the Lord, since this is the body of Christ, since this is the family of God gathered together in his name, representing who Jesus is, here's what this means. Every single time any person, regardless of who they are, any time they walk into a church, they walk into this church, you know what they ought to walk into? Goodness and mercy. Every single time. First Orlando, I need you to know, you have a reputation in the kingdom of God. When tragedy hit in Orlando, what we all heard, people that are paying attention, is that you met people that were hurting with goodness and mercy. You wanna make sure that every single time people walk in here, they run into goodness and mercy. <clears throat> this matters to me like crazy because close to 30 years ago, I was on staff at a church, okay? I was in seminary, it was a summer deal. It's a little tiny church in South Carolina, just inland from Myrtle Beach. I lived in Myrtle Beach, ever been to Myrtle Beach? Don't go there, it'll get on you, okay? Anyway, it's bad. <laughs> and so I had multiple jobs, okay? I had like three jobs. So I waited tables and I also ran a gym and I was a youth pastor. And so I had like three jobs. And so in the mornings I would go and open this gym, it was called World's Gym, and next door to it was a strip club. And the guy that owned the World's Gym he was a marketing genius. He went over to the strip club and offered free memberships to all the dancers. So then what would happen is about 10.30 every morning, they would all come in to work out and then every red-blooded American dude would come in right behind him. It was packed, okay? So we charged them like triple price. So, so I just worked there. I'd sit at the counter and make smoothies and that kind of stuff. And I was also a youth pastor. So on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights, I was teaching the Bible to high school and middle school kids and and so what began to happen over time is like those people became individual girls that I got to know. They did not have a category for me. I was like a workout guy. After they got done, they would come sit at the counter. They would order their smoothie. I would make their smoothie, sit it down. And then I was working on my youth talk. And so I would run it by the girls because I figured if the strippers understood it, my high schoolers could grab onto it. Okay, so that's what it is. And if you're insulted by that, I don't even know who's supposed to be insulted by that. I'm just telling you, so. <laughs> and here's what I began to find out, man, okay? They all, they all had very, very similar stories. At least in that, that little demographic of the 10 or 12 girls that would show up, um, they all had children. They were all ashamed of what they did and their children didn't know. They had some kind of like story. They all had two names. They had like regular name and then they had their stage name. I didn't know that. And they, none of them, none of them had this as their plan for their life. They were just gonna do it for a minute and then they fell in love with the money and they fell in love with the, the lifestyle that the money afforded and they felt stuck and they felt like they couldn't get out. And they would say things like, you, you should come see us at work. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not, nope. But you should come see me at work. You wanna come see me at work? <clears throat> and then one day one of the girls said, I'll go to church with you. And I remember thinking, uh-oh, oh boy. My church wasn't really set up for this kind of visitor, if you know what I mean. Our church had like a dress code, like multiple pleats in the dockers, everything had to be tucked in. I mean, a dress code, especially for the girls, you know? It was that kind of church. 
And I remember trying to give her an excuse. I'm like, hey, don't, you know what? I gotta, I'm the youth pastor. They don't let me like really talk, but I get to do announcements and stuff. So, but I gotta be there super early. And she's like, no, fine, I'll come. It'll be great. And I was like, oh my goodness. So she says, I'll drive. She shows up to pick me up. How about this? In a white convertible Corvette. I thought, sweet, we'll just be able to slide right in my little Southern Baptist parking lot. <laughs> It'll be awesome. So the church is about 25 miles away, and I was like, I'll drive. It took us about 16 minutes to get there. That was neat. <laughs> we pull in super early. And again, I don't know how to say this delicately. Um, I had on my Sunday best, I had like a coat and a tie, I was required to do that. And then uh, she didn't have like church clothes, you know? She had like big old high heels and a little tiny dress, and she was heavily invested in her career. Anatomically, if you understand what I'm saying. Okay, so there we were. Now, again, man, I've been sharing the gospel with this girl for six weeks up to this point, right? And we come walking in, and the stares and the whispers and the comments were tangible. I could feel it. We didn't walk into goodness and mercy, we walked into judgmentalism. And who do you think you are? So I did my little announcements. The pastor preached on something. I do remember the last song we sang was Amazing Grace. Then after the service, one of the deacons came up to me. And um, in that world, deacon meant power broker. And he said, we need to talk to you for a second. She's standing right there. We need to talk to you for a second. Her name is Sunshine. And so I go back into the pastor's office and there was three or four deacons there and they looked at me. Again, man, I'm 19, 20 years old, something like that. And they said, how dare you bring a girl like that into this place? And they said, this place exists to keep our children safe from people like her and you bring her into this place. Now, listen. I think at this point in my life, filled by the Spirit of God, standing on the Word of God, I would stand up on the good news of the gospel that the cross outs every single one of us, and it is by grace that we have been saved, and Jesus died for every single one of us who would believe. But I didn't do it that time. I was scared. I was ashamed. I was intimidated. I thought I'd lose my job and I didn't know if I'd get another job. And so I just bowed my head and said, yes, sir, and walked out. Honestly, full of shame. I get out to her car. It's the last one in the parking lot. She's leaning against it. Her kid is in the car, still coloring a picture of Jesus that she got from Sunday school. She got tears just streaming from under her Ray-Bans. She said, that was about me, wasn't it? And I lied. No, 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 no. We just had some business to handle. She knew I was lying. We get back in the car. We're headed back home. And it's quiet. And I don't know what to say, so I just said, hey, so what would you think about church? And she says, I've never felt more degraded in my entire life. Oh my yeah, two nights before, she's taking her clothes off for strange, perverted men for a dollar at a time. And she walks into a building that has the name Jesus. It's supposed to represent him. supposed to represent goodness and mercy. And instead, what she ran into was nothing but condemnation. Now, my Bible says, therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I decided in that moment, listen, this story didn't even have a good ending. She moved out of town. I don't even know what her name is. I wish I could tell you. She bought one of my books and got saved. That's not how this ended. What this ended with was a promise on my behalf.
As a 19 or 20 year old, I said, all right, Lord, if you ever let me be in charge of one of your gatherings, of one of your ecclesias, of one of your churches, then I promise, I promise, I promise that thing will be a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when people walk in, goodness and mercy will be found in that place. So first, Orlando, you were having a kingdom impact. You've planted more churches than you ever, ever, ever know. Thank you for your generosity. You were having an impact in this city at 141 times last week at student camp. You changed the eternal trajectory of these kids' life because you bring the gospel to them. And when they walk into this place, may every single time they walk into the goodness and mercy of an almighty loving God who sent Christ on our behalf. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, you are good. You are full of mercy. It's just who you are. It's just in line with your character and nature. Lord, I pray for every person within the sound of my voice, God, that we would know you as shepherd, that we would submit and surrender our lives to you, that we would walk in your path. Lord, I pray for every person that's walking in the valley of the shadow of death right now, God, may they sense your presence in a tangible way, even more than David could, because post-resurrection and post-Pentecost, you live on the inside of the believer. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the gospel witness that this church is in this city and around the world. And I pray, I pray that this place would always and forever just be full of goodness and mercy because it's full of the Spirit of God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.